0: Welcome to the Community Broadband Bits Podcast. I'm Lisa Gonzalez with the Institute for Local Self-Reliance, and I'm also a writer from Uninetworks.org. In episode 13, Christopher Mitchell speaks with Curtis Dean, the Telecommunications Services Coordinator of the Iowa Association of Municipal Utilities. Curtis offers great insight into why so many community networks hail from Iowa and other parts of the Midwest. Curtis also shares a story of a local small business that was on the brink of closing in Spencer, Iowa. Thanks to the local network and the ability to reach out to customers through online sales, Hanson Clothiers is once again thriving.
1: Curtis, thank you for coming on the Community Broadband Bits podcast.
0: My pleasure. Thanks.
1: You are the Telecommunications Services Coordinator of the Iowa Association of Municipal Utilities. And so the first question is why does Iowa have so many municipal networks? There really are quite a few.
2: Yeah, in fact, we have uh, right now uh, about 28 communities in the state of Iowa offer some form of broadband service uh, to the community. A couple of those just have like a fiber optic ring that they've installed that they then lease to other providers to provide connectivity, mainly to businesses. But uh, the vast majority of those offer uh, retail services to homes and businesses. I think the, the main reason Iowa is, you know, has this propensity for municipal telecommunications is the fact that uh, Iowa has a long tradition of home rule. And by home rule, we mean that our legislature in Iowa has allowed communities To make a lot of their own decisions on uh, issues that directly affect their citizens, and so in the early uh, to mid 1990s, um, when it came, when many communities started to feel like if they did not uh, do something that they would be left in the backwaters by the uh, large, uh, large privately owned telecom companies, they could look to Iowa law and see that there was nothing that would prohibit them from operating a utility that would provide those services all they had to do was go to the voters in their community and say this is something that, that we think we should do as a community effort and that's exactly what has happened in those communities and many others have actually held elections but never and 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 passed those referenda but have never actually built anything
1: There's also something that people don't always understand, which is a lot of these Midwestern states, there's a real strong um, tendency towards self-reliance. There's uh, farmer co-ops go way back. I mean, it's just the sense that people don't expect to have other people solve their problems for them, I think.
2: It's the same reason that Iowa has such a huge concentration of um, independent telephone cooperatives. It's the same reason that Iowa has a large number of rural electric cooperatives and municipal electric water and gas utilities. Um, You know, the turn of the 19th into the 20th century saw a technological innovation. And it was something that every community said, we've got to have this to make our community keep up with modern times. And that technological innovation was electricity and in those days the larger communities were being served by large investor-owned utilities that could make a business case for putting in electric wires to serve people uh in the smaller communities and certainly the rural areas that was a much harder business case to make but those communities felt like you know what we still need to do this so they did it themselves and that's why we have 130 some municipally owned electric utilities ranging in size from 70 meters to, uh, you know, 12 or 15,000 meters. And 100 years after that, we had the exact same emphasis in telecommunications. A new innovation comes along this time. It's broadband. We aren't getting served adequately by private providers, so let's do it ourselves. That self-reliance you mentioned came uh, came back up in the uh, in the turn of the twentieth into the twenty first century
1: so what are we seeing we 've got twenty eight towns Can you give us uh, some of the results that these communities have seen from building their own networks
2: well we 've got uh, of those twenty eight towns first of all, all of them have been successful in providing those services, um, despite what sometimes is kicked around by um, independent uh, or i should say uh, not independent <laughs> but uh,
1: very dependent. <laughs>
2: Very deep yeah. The, uh, the media comms of the world, the Comcast, the Time Warners, who are n- never in favor of someone competing with them, um, they often make claims that, oh, municipal u- telecommunication utilities, municipal cable systems have failed over and over again. Well, I'm not sure what, uh, what stories they're telling, but they're not talking about any in Iowa because every one of them uh, that has ever been founded has has operated successfully, there have been a few cases, three, I think, where we've had um, city-owned cable systems, simple cable, no broadband or anything, that were built back in the early 70s that then later sold to a nearby uh, um, independent telephone cooperative. But there's been no cases where a municipally built system has failed outright. Um, So the, the success story is pretty much across the board. Um, It's not easy, because just like every other um, business, um, you have to be able to ride the trends of technology, and we're seeing that with our members right now that built hybrid fiber coax systems in the uh, late 90s that at the time were state of the art. And certainly, um, they're seeing the squeeze on those systems as more and more bandwidth is required for customers to be able to have high speed internet, as more and more bandwidth is needed for digital video services and high definition and whatnot. So those systems are uh, in the process of evaluating what that next generation network will look like. We've already had several that have made the decision to start the process of rebuilding their networks to do fiber to the home. Um, others have upgraded to DOCSIS 3, but uh, they're all thinking about the future
1: I think uh, Cedar Falls has mostly completed their fiber-to-the-home upgrade from the Doxis 2 or DOCSIS 1, I believe, right?
2: Yes, that is correct. And they were one of the first HFC systems municipally owned in the state. And, uh, you know, they got about 15 years of life out of that system. They knew they needed to provide uh, more capacity, and they decided that the best thing for their community um, was to go ahead and just rebuild it with fiber. So they'll be, I think, by the end of this year – uh, they'll have that conversion done. And uh, we've had a couple of other communities that have uh, partially put in fiber to the home as they're upgrading other parts of their either their existing telecom network or in the case of Harlan Utilities, um, they had to do a major electric uh, utility upgrade, and so they use that as an opportunity to do about one-third of their community with fiber to the home.
1: I can't ever talk about Iowa, quite honestly, without talking about – um, at least mentioning uh what I what I found was one of the most horrific stories, which was um Cedar Falls uh got stimulus dollars to expand uh their network to areas outside of town. Um in some cases where people were having to pay long distance to do dial up to the internet. And I don't know if there's a bigger insult or tragedy in the United States of America than that. It's uh when it comes down to broadband specifically. It's just it's really unfortunate.
2: <laughs> it reminds me of the bad old days of America Online and having to call a long-distance number to uh, get online. That lasted about as long as the first long-distance bill I got.
1: At that time, I am wondering if you were in Spencer. I'd like to hear some of your, um, your reflections on um, Spencer, where you uh, have lived and worked for a long time, I believe, uh, where they have their yeah. own fiber to the home network.
2: That's kind of where I uh, cut my telecom teeth in Spencer. I was actually working in the news business in Spencer in the late 1990s, and we had um, a group in the community that uh, uh, rallied essentially to to have a referendum to create a municipal telecom utility. Uh, Spencer had had a successful electric and water utility. In fact, uh, the electric utility at that time had maybe the fourth lowest rates in the state, uh, as far as the general electric rates and so we felt that you know what this is a good institution that can serve us a lot better than the existing for-profit commu- uh, communication companies that were based in places like denver and middletown new york so uh we had a citizen committee we had an election 91 uh, percent of the voters said yes let's do it uh, the system was built an hfc system built uh, beginning in, two, in 1999 And by 2002, uh, it was community-wide and within just a few years, uh, rapidly adopted to the point where, you know, 80 to 85% of all households and businesses in the community were getting services from uh, Spencer Municipal Utilities. And it was a great experience. The things that got us going at that time uh, really were more visionary uh, than just wanting cheaper cable or better channels. It was more about what's the future of our community, what direction are we going? And kind of in that theme of self-reliance that you see in other communities, um, it was felt that you know we can't wait for somebody to do this for us. Uh, it's the same philosophy that leads a community like Spencer and many other examples around the country to uh, say, we can't wait for somebody to build us a fine arts facility. We're gonna do it ourselves. We're gonna raise money. We're going to have a bond issue. We're going to do what we need to do to give our community the things it needs. And so uh, this infrastructure, the telecom infrastructure, just another example of that.
1: And Spencer, I'm curious if you uh, can talk a little bit about the effect on economic development and how it's impacted uh, numbers in the community, um, for lack of a better term.
2: Well, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's always a difficult challenge in rural America and in Iowa. And Spencer's been no, um, no exception to that population continues to shrink in some of those rural areas. You know, A town like Spencer of 11,000, I think, has successfully fought the shrinkage uh, more than other communities, but their population has been fairly stable. One of the things that helps keep it stable is the fact that um, people are getting high-value uh, telecommunication utility services, and they're getting those for uh, an inexpensive cost. One of the biggest economic development impacts that we saw in Spencer was, it was not so much, you know, Google didn't come and build a server farm in Spencer, Iowa. They could have, but they didn't. Right. Uh, but what we saw instead were existing businesses. And we're talking small businesses, five to 50 uh, employees. We're able to utilize
1: communication
2: technology to expand their operations right there in town without having to move somewhere else. We had a, mom and pop clothing shop in downtown Spencer, the mom and pop clothing shop um, had been there for years. The owner was in his seventies. They sold high end men's clothing. Now picture a high end men's clothing store in a town of 11,000 and just how much business they could generate in that town. (laughs) It was a matter of shuttering the doors at some point, but somebody in that family said, let's do something else. And so they got high speed internet They set up their own web server, and they started selling uh, their clothes online. Hanson Clothiers is the name of the business. Their sales went through the roof, and most of those sales were sales to people all over the country who didn't even know where Spencer, Iowa was. They just knew if you wanted this high-end type of clothing, this suit, this jacket, this pair of slacks, these shoes this was a place that you could get it. And so they were successful in completely repositioning their business, and you know, they probably don't have more than a few people a day walk through their doors, but they're doing the same volume of business that a, that a clothing store in, in a big city would do. So that gives you the idea, and there are other examples like that in Spencer and other towns where access to a broadband connection can make the difference between a business that's slowly dying and a business that continues to grow successfully.
1: That is a, a terrific story. I'm curious if you have any numbers in terms of uh, the cost savings to people um, in the community and how that, um, if that money recirculates locally more or something along those lines.
2: Yeah, we, uh, in Spencer, we ran those numbers back in the mid two thousands because we were under attack by the, um, the large investor owned telecom companies who were working very actively in the Iowa legislature to try to reverse some of the home rule decisions that had made in the past. And so countering that we, and they were saying things about being unsuccessful and whatnot. So we put together some statistics and I believe that the last year I calculated those was like 2008, but up to that point, people in Spencer we're saving about $1.7 million collectively a year, um, and that was regardless of whether they got their service from Spencer Municipal Utilities or Mediacom or CenturyLink or whomever. That was just based on the fact that the rates were so much lower there, partially due to competition, but primarily due to municipal competition, than those rates would have been in nearby communities served by the same companies. So we always used to say to people, you know what? Whether you get your service from us or not, that's a lot of money that's staying in your pocket. You're going to take that money out of your pocket, you're going to go to the grocery store, you're going to go to the car dealer, you're going to go to the furniture store, and they're then going to pay their suppliers and over and over. And I've heard statistics that that money um, turns over in a community up to seven times. So you can see the economic value that comes back to a community like Spencer, like Muscatine, Cedar Falls, and the others that – is simply money that never left town in the first
1: place. And it adds up. The last question plays a little bit off of the the successful business that you noted. Iowa has a lot of rural people. um, And I think a lot of, uh, people in the United States think of Iowa, rural Minnesota, Wisconsin, you know, these Midwestern states as being full of sure. unsophisticated people who wouldn't know how to use the Internet if they had access to it. Um, and so I'm curious uh, what, how you react as an Iowegian um, to the idea that people in rural areas don't know how to use the Internet or, or somehow don't want it.
2: Well, it's it's a fallacy, obviously, um, but like every other fallacy, the only way you can counter it is by uh, telling, uh, telling the real story, and the real story is that rural islands um, are just need, need access to affordable, reliable, fast broadband as anyone else anywhere else in the country. Um, and for the, for, in most cases, they're getting it. Uh, they're not just getting it from municipal providers, but I'll give you a great example. Many of the small independent rural telephone cooperatives in Iowa their networks, primarily rural, to fiber to the home. If you live in rural parts of the state of Iowa, you can get a fiber connection to your home that you can't get in New York City. Certainly that's also the case in some of the communities served by municipal broadband uh, utilities as well. Right. In fact, you're hard-pressed to find uh, many examples where a, a customer could have a fiber fiber access that's not served by a municipal or an independent telephone cooperative the you know the the idea that because you live in a rural area doesn't mean you don't need the best internet possible you know i I point out examples of farmers that are using um, cloud services to collect and upload data on crop yields to allow them to more efficiently plant their crops Um, small businesses like the ones i mentioned that are using it to uh, increase their sales and and increase their market uh, area to not just the boundaries of a small community, but the world. Um, Certainly, the average consumer, whether they live in a rural area or an urban area, still wants access to streaming video and the ability to uh, use Skype or some other services to communicate with their family members and loved ones. So they may not use it exactly the same way as someone in an urban area, but they still use it, they still want it, they still need it, and they still have to be able to afford it. And I would say that it has to be as much or more affordable in rural areas because income, uh, income abilities in some rural areas are less than in urban areas because there's fewer economic opportunities. So it's, it's really it's an economic development issue. The whole digital-rural divide is a fairness issue. And I think is an example of a state where we've tackled that pretty well, although there's a lot of work to be done.
1: Right. I certainly think so. I, I think uh, in terms of the home rule focus, it's a smart way to move forward, um, as opposed to Texas, where so many of communities that are similar, I think, are stuck, and they don't have those options.
2: You know, if I live in a community, I know my community better than the people in the state capital. I certainly know my community better than the people who run uh, a large publicly traded communication company. Right. So why shouldn't I be able to say this is something I want to do? And by the way, in no cases here were taxpayer dollars ever put at risk. There's a lot of concern about government debt and government deficits as well there should be. But these are all uh, systems that were built and are being paid for not by taxpayer money, but by the money that the people are paying when they pay their bills. And it's been successful and it will continue to be successful. Although it gets more and more challenging as time goes, just because the business becomes more and more complicated.
1: And I want to, I want to take issue with something that you said earlier, um, which I think I don't want to, I want to take I want to have a different take on it, I guess, because sure. you said it's about fairness. And in my mind, um, the reason that we want to connect everyone in Iowa with an affordable, fast, reliable connection in my mind isn't actually about fairness at all um, for them. Okay. It's about fairness for me because the entire United States economy would be doing better if everyone in Iowa had access to be more productive, if they had access to, to better education, if they weren't you know, maybe stuck taking fewer classes because they can't afford to drive a 100 miles round trip to a college. Um, there's there's all kinds of reasons that it's not even about fairness why we have to make sure everyone has that universal access. And, and I know that you're not going to disagree with me, but I think it's something that fundamentally urban folks need to understand is that those of us that live in the big cities will do better if everyone is connected.
2: Absolutely. Um, and, and people who live in the big cities certainly want, uh, for example, America's farmers to have access to the technology they need to keep growing the crops and producing the livestock to put food on our tables. Because, you know, I think this year has been a good example of that. We've had a near-record drought here in Iowa, yet crop yields are a lot better than they would have been 20 years ago with the same conditions. Why? Not necessarily telecommunications, but technology has allowed our farmers to become smarter on how they plant, smarter on how they cultivate, smarter on how they uh, grow their crops. And, you know, the next the next wave of farmers are going to be using telecommunications even more. And that's why I think, you know, we'll be able to keep up with uh, the world's growing population um, because we'll be able to keep up the the production levels to where they need it.
1: Well, I I really appreciate you coming on. I'm sure we're going to have you on again to learn uh, more about what's happening with uh, some of the other utilities in Iowa. And uh, we wish you the, the best of luck moving forward. My
2: pleasure, Christopher. Thank you so much. And thank you for everything that the uh, Institute for Self-Reliance does. I think it's been a valuable tool for uh, all of us in in the nation that are really concerned about broadband and broadband availability across the nation.
0: That was Christopher and Curtis Dean from the Iowa Association of Municipal Utilities. They were talking about municipal broadband networks in Iowa. To learn more, visit our show page on muninetworks.org, where you can find links to some of the materials mentioned in the interview. If you have any questions or comments, please let us know. Email podcast at muninetworks.org. Our handle on Twitter is at Community Nets. This show was released on September 18, 2012. We want to again thank Fit and the Conniptions for the music licensed using Creative Commons. The song is called Spellbound.